Hey guys, and welcome to DeFacto. This is a podcast where we'll cover science topics from the perspective of two students who are currently trying to survive the IB. I'm Ju'i. And I'm Amelia. And today, instead of growing plants and feeding bacteria for our biology IAs, we're going to be talking about myopia. So, why myopia? Well, both Ju'i and I wear glasses, and we have done for a long time, so it's of personal interest. And also, as we'll see in this podcast, being outdoors has shown to have some beneficial um, impacts on our eyes. And as it's summer, what a great time to get outdoors. So I thought we'd just start a bit with how we see. So essentially, light passes through the transparent cornea and lens, um, and it's detected by cells on our retina, which then send a nerve impulse to our brain, which creates the image. So the cornea is the transparent, tough outer layer of your eye, and this is where light is initially refracted. Light is then further refracted by the lens, um, which focuses light onto the retina. So the shape of your lens can change depending on the distance of the object that you are viewing. We have two sets of muscles controlling the shape of our lens, which are the suspensory ligaments and also the ciliary muscles. So when we view a near object, the suspensory ligaments relax and the ciliary muscles contract. Uh, This causes the lens to become fatter and rounder and more curved, so the light bends more and is refracted more when they enter the eye. When we then look at far away objects, um, the suspensory ligaments tighten and the ciliary muscles relax so that our lens becomes thinner and flatter, which means that the light rays are refracted less so that they are still focused at the right point on the retina. So this accommodation of the eyes ensures that the light rays are focused onto the back of the retina. And a quick fun fact, the bending of the light rays and the convergence actually means that the image appears upside down at the back of our eye and then our brain, when it's interpreting that image, then flips it around again. So technically we're seeing everything upside down. As well as adjusting to focus on close-up and faraway objects, our eyes also adjust to accommodate different brightnesses of light. So this is known as the iris reflex. The iris, which is the coloured part of your eye, has two sets of muscles, again, your radial muscles on the outside of the iris and the circular muscles on the inside. And they both control the size of the pupil. So when your eyes are exposed to very bright light, the radial muscles relax and the circular muscles contract, which causes the pupil to contract and become smaller. This means that less light can get into your eye, protecting the retina against damage from too much light. Vice versa, uh, when it's very dim light, the circular muscles relax and the radial muscles contract, causing the pupil to expand, allowing more light into the eye. I'm suddenly getting huge flashbacks to GCSE biology. Yeah, this is very GCSE biology e. <laughs> so light is then focused on the retina at the back of our eye, um, sending signals to the brain, which interpret the image. But what exactly is the retina? Well, the retina is a layer of photoreceptor cells called rods and cones. Rods are more sensitive to dim light, uh, but cannot detect colour, whereas cones can detect different colours, but are not very effective in dim light. We have three different types of cone cells, 
red, green and blue, which are our primary colours, um, which together make up the plethora of different colours that we can see. Therefore, together, these cells detect both colour, which they tell by the wavelength of the light, and the intensity of the light rays by creating nerve impulses that are sent by the optic nerve to the brain. This is a huge digression here, but just on the subject of cones really quickly. Um, did you know that some people have four cones? And this is actually called tetrachromacy. So for example, um, you know like when we look at a huge range of similar objects, like for instance products from a supermarket, we see them as all like Pringles, for instance, Pringles cans, I said that way too fast. For instance, Pringles cans, like for instance of a certain flavor are all the same color, right, to us. But to these people that are tetrachromatic, they actually cannot really go to supermarkets because they can tell the subtle differences between these colors. And that comes from having four cones, which I think is really cool. Wow, that's really fascinating. So now looking a bit at what actually is myopia. So myopia, which comes from the Greek word myops, uh, which means short-sighted, is another term for nearsightedness or short-sightedness. It is estimated that around 30 to 40 percent of the adult population has myopia, so it is a fairly common condition. We say that with myopia the eye has too much focusing power, and this means that the light rays are focused in front of the retina instead of on the retina, meaning that distant objects appear blurry. So there's a few different reasons why this might happen. The first is due to an increased axial length. So the axial length is the length of your eye, basically. And if your eyeball is longer, then this increased axial length increases the um, converging power of the lens so that light bends more and is focused in front of the retina. Also, the curvature of the lens and the cornea can cause myopia. So if there's an increased curvature, then the again, the light rays will be uh, refracted more and they will converge in front of the retina. So another cause of myopia is an increased refractive index. So this is basically kind of how clear the lens is. So in conditions such as cataracts, which make the lens less clear, there's an increased refractive index, and so the focal point is brought forwards as the light rays converge more. And finally, myopia might be caused by a change in position of the lens, um, which may be as a result of trauma, which causes the lens to actually move positions in your eyes, again affecting how the light converges. I think that all sounds really cool. and. Okay, not very cool because I hate wearing glasses. Like, personally, I just hate wearing glasses. And that brings me on to the subject of glasses because we thought we'd talk a bit about um, the most common method for fixing, um, air quotes, fixing myopia. So, what are glasses? Um, glasses for myopia are, convex, uh, are concave lenses, sorry, which means that... Um, Imagine putting your two hands together and pressing both palms together with your fingers facing upwards. That's what a concave lens basically looks like. And what it does is that it bends the light that's coming into your lens away from the middle of the lens, which means that it can focus because myopia comes from not being able to focus it on the retina at the back of your eye. So this actually helps it focus that retina on a greater length. And that's how glasses in myopia work. So just to drop a quick contemporary term here, um, we've been saying myopia a lot, but what we mean is short-sightedness. Um, that's what myopia is. 
So on the subject of um what more on the subject of what causes myopia, we think that myopia is quite a good indication of the genetics versus environment, aka nature versus nurture debate. And because of that, we thought we'd explore a bit of the genetic versus environment components of myopia. So first of all, a quick description on the genetics of myopia. There are about 200 genetic variations of myopia, but the most common, as, as Amelia described just now, so most commonly it's caused by too long axial length, where your eye is too long. So actually, um, the genetic idea came from investigations in statistics of the prevalence of myopia. So, um, in, so just to give a quick example, in Southeast Asia, about 80 to 90% of young adults currently wear glasses which is insanely high, especially when you consider that at the end of World War II, this figure was 20 to 30%. And there's also been another study on Inuits and Eskimos, which showed that between two generations, the percentage that were short-sighted jumped from 5% to 60%. And that was different across generations, but the same for siblings, suggesting a generational effect. So let's look first at the genetics of what happens. We do think that, well, we did think that myopia was genetic. And we thought this because multiple studies have shown that if your parents have myopia, you probably have myopia as well. So this has been shown in China, in Australia, where if you have two parents, you have 43.6% um, likelihood of having myopia. Um, Iran, in, where it's actually much higher, it's at 61%. And all this just comes together to show how strong the genetic influence is on myopia. There were also twin studies, which is a really good example um, whenever you want to look at genetic things because twins are um, monozygotic, aka identical twins are genetically identical. They're essentially genetic clones. So if you want to study genes and environment, then twins are a great example. So actually in monozygotic twins, if one twin is short-sighted, it's, there's a 95% likelihood that the other twin is also short-sighted in one study that was um, conducted. And they contrasted this with dizygotic twins, i.e. non-identical twins. And in non-identical twins, that figure was 29%. So just trying to do math very, very quickly here. Uh, that is 46%. Nope. I cannot do math. Summer is doing my head in. Um, that's 66%. So that's a huge difference, I would say. And... Um, so finally, there was one study that looked at the diff um that actually looked at the loci of these genes, and they found twenty five loci associated with myopia. So you could say that myopia has quite a strong genetic influence. But the huge rise in cases in that I described just now between generations, especially in the example of Southeast Asia, where there's been a lot of research into myopia, well, it's quite crazy to think that like between generations you can have such a high jump. And because of it, a lot of researchers are thinking that environment doesn't explain the whole picture, that genetics doesn't actually explain the whole picture, and that we should turn towards the environment instead. Yeah, so looking at a couple of the environmental causes, it's been known for a while now that working on a computer for long periods of time is not the best for your eyes, and we believe that this may actually cause um, or perhaps lead to myopia. So I guess the theory behind this is that when you're focusing on a computer which is a nearby object for a long for long periods of time, then you don't get that same having to accommodate um, to different kind of distances 
and so your eyes are kind of fixed on this close-up thing so you, I guess your muscles get less action of kind of accommodating to different visual fields um, and this is one theory for why working on a computer um, increases myopia and another cause that or not a cause something else that is thought to be linked with reducing myopia is actually outdoor activity like we mentioned at the beginning and so one theory for this is that the bright light stimulates the release of dopamine from the retina and drugs mimicking dopamine have been shown to actually reduce eye growth and so it's thought that this release of dopamine can actually reduce the eye growth reducing the axial length and therefore stopping uh, myopia from developing. I think that brings up a really interesting point though because isn't the opposite of myopia, I'm not sure what the medical term for it is, but if the opposite of short-sightedness is long-sightedness, right? And um, I would guess that long-sightedness comes from having a too short axial length, but we don't really see like long-sightedness in young people. So I think it's much more prevalent in older populations. I think it would be quite interesting to like consider how that might have an impact. Like, I'm sh- I I don't think many studies have been done on um whether being outdoors kind of like increases your risk of long sightedness because I think that currently um most people's problem is that people spend too much time indoors and myopia is a lot more prevalent. But I think if we do successfully manage to kind of encourage people to go outdoors and therefore get less um have less occurrences of myopia, whether that would actually like lead to long sightedness. I think that's quite interesting. Yeah, I think that'd be really interesting because. A lot of the research that obviously we looked at is based on short-sightedness because, as you said, it's much more prevalent among the younger population and, I guess, long-sightedness is something that we see in the older population. So, yeah, that'd be really interesting to see, actually, if outdoor activities has an effect on long-sightedness as well as just myopia. Yeah, and I actually found a bit more on spending outdoors as well, so I'll just drop that in to supplement um, what you've already said. So, um... Just building on what I talked about on genetics and parent studies just now. So actually, um, a few other studies have found that you're less likely to get myopia irrespective of whether your parents had myopia or not if you spend time outdoors. So obviously, spending time outdoors has quite a big um, impact on myopia. So it actually says that you don't have to do any exercise, which is a very good sign for me because I do not do exercise. (laughs) Um, But anyway... Um, it, it says that you just have to be outdoors and as long as you know, you're know you getting that time away from your screens, getting that time away from actually just being inside and just spending some time outdoors, whether it's like taking a walk in the park or maybe like just you know taking some photographs outside or something and that would actually have a better impact and you would not um, be so likely to get myopia. So, um, and then some people actually suggested that it might be because um, of work. So this is a different subject from screens. This is like work as in school books. So people thought that there might be a correlation with that. But actually, there was a study done contrasting Sydney and Singapore because Sydney has more books than Singapore, but it has less myopia. And they found that actually the difference that they thought explained why Sydney has less occurrences is because um, in Sydney, children tend to spend more time outside compared to in Singapore. And finally, just to make a note on um, formal education. So I also looked at some studies to do with formal education, i.e. how long you spent in school and whether, um, because in some countries, more people go to university than others. So they did some contrasting studies on those. And um, they found that in, um, in Singapore, where they go to formal study 
for quite a long period of time because most people in Singapore go to university, they found that there's a lot more occurrences of myopia there and they found similar results in China. So, um, so this obviously shows quite a range of factors that have to do with myopia, but essentially, um, essentially you can see that most of the factors that have a link with myopia come with staying out, staying inside, working, looking at your screen without appropriately going outside and just taking some time to enjoy the good weather when it actually happens. Yeah, I think there's a lot of focus on actually screen time sort of being bad for us and everybody kind of knows that too much screen time is not good but I think there's less of a focus on just actually the importance of getting outside for regular breaks just to give our eyes a break and kind of yeah I think it's sometimes underestimated the importance of just going outside and being outside. Yeah and I mean even for people who hate sports like myself I think I actually really enjoy doing things like um, going to the park, maybe like taking a walk, sitting on the swing for a bit, just maybe spending some time with my family outdoors, or maybe even like doing things like having a picnic, which um, I can't do in Malaysia right now because I would boil. But if um, in like, for instance, in the UK, we actually went out for picnics a lot. We went to the park. We kind of like just tried to spend some time as a family together outdoors. And I felt that that was actually like really enjoyable for me. So it's not like you have to do sports or you have to go outside like every day. But if you kind of take some time out, maybe every week or so, because we understand that everyone is busy. But if you just take like a few minutes even just to take a walk outside or something, that could actually have quite good impacts on your health. So that's it for today. Thanks for listening to this episode of De Facto. We know it's been shorter than usual, so why don't you take this time to go outside and just enjoy some fresh air. Thanks for listening and bye!